Hey. 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 Hi. Hey there. Sup. Howdy. Hello. <laughs> you up? Good morning. Bonjour. <laughs> Come on to Tapel. <laughs> Ooh, we oui, oui. Sorry, I'm a real American. I can't understand any of that. Yeah, true. I, I lost what little French I had the moment I got my citizenship. I remember. What is your name? What age are you? And sorry, I don't speak French. Do you speak English? <laughs> there we are. That is about all I remember. The only one I would do was Je mange ma chat avec ma chienne dans la rue, which I'm sure I've butchered over the years, but it's I eat my cat with my dog in the road. <laughs> uh, où est la bibliothèque? Uh, classic. Why does everyone yeah. default to where is the library? <laughs> like, no one goes to a library anymore. <laughs> Apparently... They'd get way more custom and keep libraries running in this country if they just fucking called them bibliotechs. I mean, I'd get them more if they were called bibliotechs. Right. That sounds so grand, so fancy. What did you do today? Oh, I spent today at the bibliotech. Right? Oots, 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 exactly. Oots, oots. It's a rave with books. If someone wants to create a library full of, like, dance music and flashing lights, I'll patronise it. Right. Drop some ecstasy. Talk about Stanislavski. Yeah. What a night. See, I, I was going to say drop some acid and read some children's books, because you'd be like, oh, this, this fucking green eggs and ham shit. Oh, that's blowing my mind. Well, we can't all be a sophisticate like me, <clears throat> rattling off one of only two playwrights' names they remember from college. <laughs> the other one being Brecht, of course. Well, and Stanislavski's responsible for the method acting system, right? Oh, hmm. He was, uh, I believe he was, at least they taught me in college, it was the fourth wall that was his sort of big thing. Mm. The establishment of the fourth wall. Whereas Brecht was positioned as, as very opposite that at times. All I know is that if I was in the bibliotheque and had done a lot of drugs, I probably wouldn't be up to reading anything with more than, say, ten words on a page. Yeah, I'd like pictures. Exactly! I have tried to read Marxist theory on hallucinogens. <laughs> it's not easy. It's not easy. Was it worthwhile, though? Was it worth the effort? No, probably not. <laughs> I retained nothing. Conrad, when you're over tonight, let's read of mice and men down the K-hole. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm falling into an infinite void of that man with the Vaseline glove. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lenny. Oh, Lenny indeed. Never did live oh. off the fat of the lamb. No. Welcome to Podquisition, everyone. Laura, you've got a PS5. I do. Yeah. I want to talk about something video game related within the first five minutes. Oh, look at you, excited to talk about a video game thing. Uh, tell me about it. What is it? Have your PS5 controllers been running out of battery quicker? No. Both mine have been, ever since I updated them. I'm suspicious, and I've not seen anyone else do it, so I don't know. I don't feel like I'm using it any more than I had been. But they go quick. I have not experienced that, but I have largely been playing Xbox recently. Oh, that's fair. For Game Passy stuff. But I will keep an eye open for it. Yeah. Also, part of it is that I never fucking plug my PlayStation controllers in to do the update. I keep being like, 
I don't, I don't have a USB to hand. I can't be fucked. They make it a fucking, yeah. Yeah, I can't do it wirelessly, so I keep not updating my controller. So it might just be that if there is a thing that's happening, I haven't updated to whatever firmware. Hold on. I, can I back up a second? Wait, did you... Because I don't have a PS5. Yeah. Y'all are updating controller firmware? Yeah. Oh, that's been a th- that's a thing on like the Switch has updates to controller firmware sometimes. Oh, I've never updated my Switch. <laughs> Conrad likes to stay off the grid. I'd have to use it. <laughs> All three of the major current consoles have controller firmware updates. I don't know what a controller firmware update has ever done to my controller. It's always functioned identically. <laughs> Huh. Like I've never, I've never read a patch note for a controller update. That's true. They just say, "Hey, mate, do you want to update it in a really inconvenient fucking way?" There's never a, like an update of what's changing. You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go googling see if I can find PS5. Um. So hey, God, I just want to understand. Then they are saying, "Hey, how's that thing that's been working fine for you been working? Would you like to install an update at your inconvenience to that thing that's working fine?" Exactly, which is why I've never fucking done it. I, I won't even update devices and software that I know there will be tangible benefits to my just pressing the button and having it do it automatically. The thought of having to connect a cable up to something to get it to install something that I don't even want in the first place really is remarkable. And if you put a new controller, if you turn another controller on to do it, like get the update after the PS5's um, already come out of rest mode and done one, you can't. I don't know how to just like when I get up on my own terms and plug it in and the pop-up hasn't come up, I don't know how to do it without turning the PS5 light reset. <laughs> I'm in a similar position. I've just looked up the most recent PS5 uh, controller update and apparently, nebulously, it updates the DualSense controller device software to improve stability. Did you find it unstable? No, I had no problems with stability before. No. Like, it sat okay when you, like, put it on a level surface? It didn't, like, fall on its own or anything like that? No, it it stayed exactly where I left it. You could, like, rest it on the tip of your finger at the center and it would be perfectly balanced as all things should be? Yeah, I could do that in the past. I don't know if I can do it anymore. It's going to be too stable. <laughs> Not to be too too cryptic on the audience, but if they're paying attention on my Twitch channel this weekend, they'll know. He just got back to me and said Envy loved it. Oh, God. Mm. Oh, oh, God. God. The last thing stopping that disaster. Oh, well. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm assuming this is the thing I saw the image to do with yeah, a minute ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. By the way, folks, if you want to know what we're talking about, you too can tune in at uh, 6 p.m. Eastern on Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. Saturday, 28th. Is that the, the start time in the main show or the pre-show? Oh, yeah, we've got a fucking... It's, it's 30, isn't it? Yeah, it's about, about 30 minutes. Sorry, I forget the pre-show, even though it's really fucking good. Stop forgetting the pre-show. I'm, I'm putting all this work in the pre-show. I know. You've got to remember the pre-show. I know. I'm sorry, that was incredibly rude. Laura puts together a pre-show. They're fucking great. Uh, that will start 5.30pm Eastern on August 28th. Twitch TV slash Jib Sterling. I will be there doing a wrestle. I'm wrestling Sean Phoenix, the guy who, if you've looked at my pinned tweet, it's the most sort of famous chokeslam I've done. 
He's my favourite person to choke slam, so I'm going to choke slam the shit out of him again. He thinks he'll get revenge for me, like, you know, exacerbating a separated shoulder. But I think he's an idiot. He said thank God for me in his promo. <laughs> that was a big mistake. Uh, if you want to know who Sean Phoenix is, you should watch Can't Eat, because then you get to see big old choke slam happen. Oh, yeah, the Enjoy Wrestling YouTube channel. Um, I'm part of Enjoy, they're really good Yeah, a couple of seasons of good wrestling And you'll get to see Steph do a good uh, Chokeslam on Sean Phoenix Fucking good Chokeslam You'll see a fucking good Chokeslam this weekend as well I'm going to kick the shit out of him So who's played think video- just because I'm not a good wrestler, <laughs> Laura I know it But I'm a good kicking the shit out of a person uh. And I mean, honestly, there's a very thin line between wrestling and that Yeah, I just throw people and chokeslam <laughs> them But I do it well Sorry, Laura No, I was just gonna say, has anyone played a video game this week that they'd like to talk about? Because I've got to get that sentence in there before the ten minute mark, ideally Oh 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 Oh. We're about ten minutes in. Who's played a video? <laughs> game? Why I so coyly received it with intrigue. <laughs> uh, we've played games. Yeah, we've played yeah. some games. Yeah. yeah. I finished playing Road ninety six. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that game's real good. It's a real good game, huh? I'm very glad I played it the whole way through. Last week when we talked about it, I think I'd finished the first uh, run through of the game and Steph, you were on your third. I'd done a couple. I'd done a few, yeah. Having played through the whole thing now, which like, do you remember how many episodes it is to the end? I can't. I feel like it was around six. Six is where I'm six. thinking. I'm trying to remember the missing poster that turns up in the game. Yeah. So around six episodes, each about an hour long, every single one of them was completely different and there was no repeated content. It was very clear that because this was progression through a timeline, all of the content was different every time I ran through it, which was nice. Upon replaying the first episode on a fresh Switch save, it becomes apparent that there's a bunch of other content I haven't seen and I want to try and explain how this works. Depending on when in a given run you meet a character, you will have entirely different scenes with them. Um, An example I will give from the the first run through of the game is I met a cop for the first time uh, on my first run on a bus. I was getting all the other passengers to basically shout a cab at them until they freaked out and started firing their gun around a bit. Uh, they, They talked in this scene about like, hey, I am on this bus because my police car got damaged in an explosion or something. On a different playthrough of of the first episode, I bumped into that cop through a different set of circumstances earlier in the episode. I instead was in the car when it got Mm -hmm. hit with the explosive. I'll tell you what, Laura. Mm. In my playthrough... I helped fix the car. Yeah, I changed the tire. You helped. You helped the cop fix their tire. <laughs> uh, now, I, you know, I don't want to victim blame here. <laughs> okay, but you did get friendly with a cop. You have to. I mean, you can like before you do it, you can like tell them it's karma. <laughs> it's like the first thing you can say to them is it's karma. You don't have to be friendly with that cop. You can spend the entire game going like, hey, bring on the revolution, stop sending kids to ca- to the, the bad camps you're sending them to. Maybe I didn't have to change the tire. While in the car with them? Yeah, while in the back of the, 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 the back of the car in handcuffs. Oh, well, okay, yeah, that is a way to do it. Yeah, that is a way to be in that car. Okay, fair. Yeah, no, that's that's why I was in that car. I was trying to hitchhike and the cop decided to go, oh, you're hitchhiking to the border. 
No, you're not. Okay, all right. They start friendly enough to cops. Let me make it clear, I did not willingly accept a ride from the cop. I got picked up by the cop and put in handcuffs and spent the entire ride telling her that she was a fucking cop and should go burn in hell, and then her car exploded. Good. It's it the, great. It's the only, only proper way to go. And then I come along. Oh, no. Heart <laughs> full of rebellious spirit. And basically become a knock. <laughs> Oh, I really like this game. It feels like there is a good amount of variation in what you're going to experience as you play through it. It feels like the choices I made across those runs contributed to a satisfying ending that felt in line with what I had been pushing for. The narrative was really, it was really well written. I really enjoyed the writing the whole way through. It's a real fun game. Do you got any other thoughts, Steph? No, pretty pretty much the same as you. Uh, it's one of those games where I've not got a massive amount to say, not because of anything bad about the game, but like, yeah, it's really you can explain it really simply, even with its conceit, and then just be like, yeah, it's it's well written, well performed. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. The mini games peppered throughout, I think, do a good job of keeping the pace up and keeping it interesting. Yeah. It's some interesting stuff. It reminds me of Edith Finch a little. Mm. You know, the same criticisms I had last week, you know, they're the only things that hold up with the, you know, the bobbing interface. Yeah, and it clearly wants to be played in certain places on a mouse and keyboard more than it does a controller. But yes. also, like, if you're a person that likes to play things on Switch, it's totally fine. It's fine. Like, it's not like they are mega consequential or anything. Yeah. The only other thing I want to say about it is I think it did a very good job with tension building. Yeah. There were a lot of scenes where I genuinely felt very tense and anxious, particularly uh, particularly a lot of the scenes where you are trying to cross the border various ways are yeah. as tense as you would want those to be. So yeah, I really like this game. I'm glad I gave it a go. I, I, it's one of those I, I played through most of it in one big sitting. Yeah. Because I just didn't want to put it down. Very good. Yeah. Very good game. Conrad, what do you play this week? Well, I, I'm still playing The Ascent, but I'm really not making progress in it. Uh, yeah, I've, well, I mean, I've hit something of a wall that almost feels like I need to grind, or, or I'm just not understanding. Standing, I don't have the right armor equipped, and I'm not sure what damage type I'm taking or something. But I'm just, I'm running up against such resistance that any progress I'm making towards getting to an objective is really, really arduous. And then I hit a checkpoint on my last playthrough. <laughs> I was, I, I'm fighting through waves of enemies to get to a objective. Mm -hmm. And every other wave of enemies, I die. But I get to checkpoint a little bit before it. So I make it through like four waves of enemies, five waves, something like that, to get to where my objective point is and die in the attempt on the objective. And now suddenly, because I was over there by that, the nearest checkpoint has switched to before those five, six fights that I'd had. Oh, fuck that oh. game. Oh. Fuck it. Oh. In the bin. I'm just like, ooh, okay. Not, oh. not ideal. Not feeling great about that. Mm -hmm. So that that's the last I, I, I've played. That kind of gameplay is still so attractive to me. And the 
cover system is not it's not so much a cover system as crouch behind objects and it works just fine and then the you know hold your gun up to fire over cover thing it's fun to play like that once you get the hang of it and and just sort of methodical combat approaches that i find personally deeply satisfying but doing the same shit over and over again in in beautiful environments that I'm starting to see the repetition of layout in yeah. is starting to wear on me a little bit. And I'm going to keep playing a little bit longer. But if it comes to a point where I start revisiting earlier areas to grind for experience, I'll probably just never stop doing that. I'll just enjoy killing enemies and never move back to doing objectives until such a point that it would be laughable to walk through, probably. Mm. And then maybe I'll finish it. But, you know, it's a game with some problems that I still find fun. I still like the setting, but it's hard to recommend. Sounds it. All right. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Steph? Speaking of hard to recommend. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I've been playing... There's a new Aliens game out. Oh, is oh. there? You know me, I'm a bugger for Aliens. The idea is sound. The idea is sound. The way that all good sentences begin. Yeah. You mean, like, the idea is sound, like, in the sense that you use a radar-type sound locator <laughs> to indicate the position of aliens? There is that. Hey. It's got a little radar. It's basically Left for Dead with Xenomorphs. Okay. The idea is solid. That sounds like a fun premise. Good premise. Yeah. I'm sure you're about to tell us that they executed on it very well. <laughs> it's not terrible. I sort of like it, but I can't say it's good. It's not random like Left for Dead. Like, eventually, you, if you play the same things over, which you really should to grind for shit, the special Xenomorphs, they're all place the same there are these ambushy ones that are kind of like hunters and i i know where they are now <laughs> uh-huh. and that's with my memory retention they're just in the same place but it's it's very rough it's very rough glitches galore not enough xenomorphs like they come at you in swarms and it doesn't feel like there's enough to go round you get a lot of assists in this game but not a satisfying number of kills i prefer the xenos to maybe be a little weaker and more numerous but there is some mindless fun to be had in just going through a level, here comes massive swarms of xenomorphs, and you shoot them all, you know? There's a lot of stuff that looks right for microtransactions and stuff, but there aren't any. There's a couple DLC packs, but like it's got a whole bunch of cosmetics and different collectible guns. You see, unlike something like a Left 4 Dead, you've, you level up and keep progress, so... You keep your gun, you unlock new attachments for it, which you can buy or or find in the levels. When I say buy, it's like with in-game stuff. It's kind of grindy, and the levels are really long and really take the piss with the amount of special things they throw at you once the androids turn up, because of course there's synths. I don't hate it, but it's kind of broken, and it's not as good as the sinking city but it's that similar kind of i'm playing it a lot but i can't tell you it's a good game yeah 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 it's got aliens in it aliens are good yeah some lore from alien isolations in it as well Ooh. the working joes are in it the the creepy synths ah. so that's pretty cool to see stuff like that 
the mouths don't move. Mm, mm. The NPCs' mouths don't move, and it kind of goes up close to them like it would in an RPG. So, like, half the screen is them with text next to them, and they're talking, and they're not moving, and it looks so fucking cheap. It looks so fucking cheap, though. That was the first impression the game gave me as well. I started up with an NPC to speak to, and they're just there, just stood there blinking. Couldn't they have made the mouths move? (sighs) I'm not one who's like, oh, make this game look amazing, push the staff. But it is buggy, though. I've had things where, like, you've got to gather the whole team because it's multiplayer. You gather the whole team to open a door so you don't go too far. And we had one where all of us were at the door and we weren't going anywhere. It just it kept on gathering the team and, and we couldn't go through. And there are these cards you can unlock and they give some away in the DLC as well. And they're only one use. And if the game glitches and you've got to leave, you'll, you'll lose the card. And these cards are like challenge cards. You get extra rewards and they'll impose like some penalty. Or sometimes they're just bonuses. It's just like earn three times as many currency at the end of the match. Why wouldn't they just provide you with a set of those options at the beginning of the match to choose from and leave it at that? Because you get random cards. Oh, because they can sell the cards. You get random cards. Mm. Like I said, I've not seen microtransactions yet. There was a bunch of them in, in one of the DLC packs. Yeah, but that that sounds like a thing that's there so that it can be a microtransaction. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're talking to the biggest microtransaction cynic there is. It It looks so primed. Either, you know, it could go either way. Either it's primed to receive them or it was going to have them and something changed them, their mind. But it, the whole thing, from how grindy it is to the unlocks you get to the way that there's a storefront with... There are two different currencies. Hmm. It's just you get them all in the game. And things are pretty cheap. So it's like... It's like a, it's a free-to-play economy, but it's it's all free. Well cost of entry it's like at the last minute they pulled out the gems kind of yeah just deleted the gems at the last second or, or made the the corpse grip whatever it is the the special currency like they just made it free quote unquote it's like maybe a european publisher started to smell something in the wind in some european <laughs> countries and said maybe we ought to let this one slide plus i mean Speaking of, Focus publishes it, and they've never really pulled shit like that, as far as I know. Uh, They've done DLC, but as far as... I've certainly not complained about a Focus game being stuffed to the broom with, you know, fee-to-pay bullshit. Yeah. But, you know, when I saw the trailers for this, I thought it was going to be a free-to-play game. I was surprised Mm. that I didn't see any talk of microtransactions and didn't see them at launch and everything, and that it did indeed cost money. So, yeah, I'm going to keep an eye on it. But so far... Not so good, because it's not a good game. But so I am playing this for some compulsive reason. It's that kind of game. I'll probably drop it like a lead balloon what, like before too long. Yeah. But for right now, it's, you know, it's aliens and you shoot them. And it's, you know, way worse than Alien Isolation. But not the no, you know, no worse than Colonial, better than Colonial Marines. Mm-mm. Less lied about. You look at a trailer for this and you get a pretty fucking good idea what you're in for. I'm not surprised by the way the game is. It's not glitched, and I'm like, oh god, how could it? Mm. 
I played another thing this week. Oh, yeah? I played 12 minutes. Oh, yeah. The Willem Dafoe, Daisy Ridley, and uh, star-studded cast time loop game. Yeah, yeah, that one. The concept is pretty simple. You're stuck in a time loop. At most, it's going to be 12 minutes long. Uh, You play as this gentleman who's come home to his apartment and, as has been shown off in the trailers, a man claiming to be a cop kicks down his door and starts shouting about your wife having killed her father. And you've got to work out what to do with this very enclosed space in this very limited time loop. Hmm. So I want to talk about the things that I want to praise first. That sounds promising. (laughs) Look, I felt very positively initially about this game. I think that it does a very good job of making use of its very small physical environment and its very short time loop in really smart ways. I think that there is a lot of interesting puzzles. I think that there is a lot of good use of finding creative ways to use this admittedly very small, very limited space. I think that the acting performances are very good. Willem Dafoe, very clearly Willem Dafoe, but the the other two, uh, Daisy Ridley and James McAvoy, wouldn't have known it was them if it hadn't been told, and it doesn't sound like they're actively forcing themselves to, you know, put on an accent. They both have done a very good job of playing these characters. So I want to talk about what turned me off of this game without talking about spoilers. Mm. So instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about a... Tabletop Escape the Room game I recently played that I felt very similar about. And I can give you spoilers about that to give you a sense of like the energy of where I I started to have problems with 12 minutes. So I played this little Escape the Room card game a while back, and the the, the whole premise was there's this evil cult that's gonna, you know, destroy the world. I need to go stop them by doing Escape the Room puzzles. And various acts are considered justifiable because of the end of the world is is coming. There are, you know, things like killing and torturing people that happen throughout the story. And right at the end, you find out, actually, all this has been in your head. You're just mentally ill. And you did kill those. You did kill those people. You did those horrible things. But it wasn't to save the world. It's just because you're you're, you're mentally ill in the head. Uh, Ah, ah. Ah, so like, I'm not saying the same things happen in 12 minutes. I don't want to talk about spoilers for 12 minutes, but 12 minutes has a similar, it has a narrative twist that really fucking makes me feel gross about everything that comes before it Mm -hmm. and makes me go, oh, I was very engaged with the thing you were presenting. And this is just kind of disappointing. Yeah. In that, like, it's en- like using this escape room as an example that ended on, oh, oh, the whole thing is this was just a point about mentally ill p- people are dangerous. Okay, I see. This spiritually feels similar. And it's a real shame because I was very much enjoying the time loop narrative. I was enjoying the performances. I was enjoying the mystery as presented of the time loop. I was enjoying it mechanically. I thought they did some really smart stuff. It just takes a very fucking weird turn, and I did not enjoy where it went, which is a real shame, because like about three or four hours in, I was very ready to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to recommend this like pretty highly on Podquisition, and then I finished it, and... oh Yeah, that's a shame. Yeah. I had heard that there was some uh, lack of clarity for like at least one of the puzzles towards the tail end that 
was a little frustrating. I think on the whole, the puzzles all make sense and it avoids the sort of moon logic-y problem of, of point and click stuff. There is maybe one or two puzzles I would go, oh, I only got this because of trial and error and I now see what you wanted me to do, but I got a bit frustrated there. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I was interested. I think uh, it's going to be something that I don't wind up actually playing. Yeah, yeah, it's... It's one of these that, like, when I said I was streaming it, and I was like, I'm only going to stream the first few hours, people were like, we don't want to spoil this for you, but you you might not want to stream the whole way through this, and you might want to see some of this off stream, because there are some mm. things to be aware of in it, and, oh yeah, I'm glad I didn't stream the, <laughs> the rest of that. Shit. In this one instance, I understand why everyone was like, hey, you might want to finish this before you stream it. Wow. Mm. I haven't checked it out yet. I've been wanting to. and But all I've heard about it, really, since it came out, was that the ending was squiffy. Off air, I can tell you the thing that is gross at the end without ruining how you get there. You know, to make that choice of whether it's something you want to play. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It sure tells the story it was trying to tell, and I'm not going to, you know, say that it can't tell that story, but I, I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> Uh, what about you both? Have either of you played anything else this week? Well, Laura, you and I both played Psychonauts 2. Yeah, how how are you finding that? It's what I wanted. Yeah. Like, I'm thoroughly happy so far with it. Um, first off, right off the gate, launches with accessibility options and content warnings, and I was yeah. very, very yeah. happy to see that. Very well implemented ones to that, like... The only thing I will say on accessibility stuff, uh, it brings up an accessibility menu at the start of the game. Uh, I would let people know that there is a more detailed accessibility menu in the settings later. Yeah. Don't assume that that start menu is all of the settings. So, yeah, that's all real good. Uh, and then, of course, it goes from uh, giving me all those content warnings to specifically the content that's going to give me the most discomfort so that's cool is that the one that's the very first level of the, yeah, of the game yeah and i loved it yeah. like, loved it oh it's so good it's great but it's it, it sure is the one level that's going to cause some discomfort to some players yeah but it's a good thing they warned about it yeah it's intense <laughs> mechanically i think it's excellent as someone who has recently replayed psychonauts mm -hmm. like very recently played psychonauts the platform i don't think you can appreciate how much better the platforming is i did the same as you i recently replayed one and my god it's night and day <laughs> now it's still 3d platforming yeah it's just modern 3d platforming <laughs> i would say it's very very competent modern 3d platforming yes yes absolutely um um, I still struggle with it at points. There have been a few jumps that I'm like, I really should have been able to make that. And then the wall jump, I get caught up on the wall jump a lot. Yeah. You now have a wall jump ability where after you execute your double jump, if you hit a surface, you go into a slide to do a wall jump. That's doesn't always work out to your advantage. Mm. It, that, that wall jump can get in the way, and you can't double jump again off the wall jump. So it's not like you can use it to get extra height to get back and recover from a mistake, usually. Uh, so that's a bit of an annoyance. But it, the abilities all work better. Yeah. And you get to start with 
very quickly, you get access to basically everything you had in Psychonauts 1. Yes. Uh, which is wonderful. It's, it's very nice to, within a few minutes, be like, oh, I'm uh, throwing stuff around with my mind and setting things on fire. And yeah. This, uh, like... I have, a, I can levitate and all of that has come, like, within minutes. Yeah, it, it it takes maybe half an hour, and that's including lengthy introductory cinematics, to the point where you can do just about all of the abilities. It takes, you know, maybe another half an hour, you've got the full range. Yeah. And that's, that's great, and it's still introduces them in the same kind of tutorial manner as Psychonauts 1 did uh, very gradually, but it's just compressed down into two areas, basically. Yeah. It's great. It's very quick to get into it and feel like you're right back in. Uh, and then you're on to learning new abilities and getting new stuff. It feels like an extension of Psychonauts. It feels like a true sequel. Lots of the stuff that you recognize from the original is there with maybe a slightly different coat of paint to reflect the change in circumstance that Raz finds themselves in now. But that's about it. There's a few new things introduced, a couple of mobility and movement things. Um, some new enemies are quickly introduced, so you're getting to fresh content quickly. It doesn't feel retready. And I'm still early in. I'm still in the first, like, new mind that you explore. Mm. Uh, and I'm, I think I'm just about done with that section. So I still have a, a pretty good ways to go in this still. I'm a little further ahead than you are. Not Probably not more than a, an hour or hour and a half ahead of you. But um, I've completed that character and moved on to the next big thing I'm doing. And yeah, I'm really impressed by this. Visually, the new art style for it looks fantastic. Oh, yeah. it, it, it really captures the feel of the old game, but in a very modernized style. I think that the, the humor and the writing is spot on for what I would want out of this. The faces are so expressive, too. Oh, they are, yeah. And again, having just played Psychonauts 1 recently, yeah. seeing the difference in how much they're able to convey emotionally with these characters yes. just in their expression and posture and design is remarkable. This is one of those games where it's like, it's been, it got announced, what, six years ago, and I look at it and go, yeah, I can see where you spent the time on this. You took your time, and clearly that Microsoft money that you got has probably helped, because it's it's very polished. Um, it doesn't feel like it's just trying to be the first game again. It feels like it has its own identity, but it is exactly what I want out of it. It feels like a new Psychonauts game. In all the right ways. <laughs> I'm so interested to see the journey that Rasputin goes on in this adventure, because here he's being confronted with his dream, the reality of his dream. <laughs> and it is, in many ways, so tremendously mundane. Yeah, yeah. Like, that, there is something for, like, minutes into this game being like, ah, you got your dream job. His, his Raz stood at a desk in an office cubicle for a second. You know, not to, because I don't want to spoil anything. I mean, this is really very early moments. And, yeah. and there is a another reality 
different from that to the job, but that in itself is far more mundane than the fantasy. And it's just so, I'm so interested to see if and how Raz contends with that as the story continues. Yeah. It's really doing some, some, some interesting stuff with, uh, how, how do I put this? When you're presented with your dream job and realize that it is a job still, mm-hmm. and having to deal with some of the things that, can't, that, that aren't necessarily presented to you when it's the dream. I can't relate to that at all. It's real neat, this game. Yeah. It's, it's real neat. I didn't want to stop playing it to record this podcast. I was like, oh, I'm having a good time. I want to keep going. Yeah. I wish I didn't have, like, 36 hours of straight work ahead of me. Because that's all I'd be doing. Yeah, like, I have I have a bunch of deadlines this week I have to hit, but, like, I kind of want to play at least, like, another hour after Pogposition, kind of, maybe. <laughs> it's, it's real good. It's real good. Also, I will say for anyone who's inter- interested in it and doesn't have the interest to play the original game uh, because of its age or anything like that, I think that the opening cinematic does a pretty good job of... Solid summary. Yeah, good solid summary, and I think it introduces the characters here in ways that gives a certain amount of, hey, if this is your first time, we're going to give you room to get to grips with them. Yeah, and, you know, it includes the content of the VR game, Rhombus of Ruin. Yeah. Which I didn't play, so it was nice to get some summary of events there, uh, because... uh, that's pretty significant happenings to the plot there. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it does a good job of making itself something that could be your first Psychonauts and still be an enjoyable experience. Yep, I agree. Yeah. It's very good. What about you, Steph? Have you played anything else this week? Played Quake. You played Quake? Played Quake. How's Quake? It's Quake. Yeah. Yeah. What new stories we got? Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we, we we got some news stories. Uh, very very quickly, I have one other thing I was gonna uh, talk about that I played. Yeah, uh, I've been I've been playing Train Simulator, and there's updates on the speed running for that game. Ooh. So fun fact: it turns out there's a weird bug with that game where the in-game timer fluctuates sometimes based on frame rate. And I've spent this week talking to the developers, being like, "Hey, so does the in-game timer slow down?" correspond with a like actual vehicle making it through the journey slow down because if yes that's great we can use the in-game timer to you know to time speed runs if the two are consistent or is it just the in-game timer that's slowing down but the train is still making its journey at the same speed in which case an external you know timer like live split needs to be used to have consistent timings so that's been my week is learning about the weird in- idiosyncrasies of a game from 2008 that that still exists there you go. There's not much more to it than that, but speedrunning's a, a fun way to learn the specific ways that games are broken very quickly. Oh yeah, like it's fascinating watching speedruns and seeing some of the shit you can do to just destroy a game from the inside out. Yeah, it took a couple of days of speedrunning this to be like, oh, I now understand this game on a fundamental technical level that most people probably never pay attention to. Hooray! Mm-hmm. Uh, so, let's find some news. Uh, there was a really interesting video that I think all three of us watched uh, this week that's uh, worth talking about. Mm-hmm. It is a video by uh, People Make Games on YouTube, uh, and it is called Investigation, How Roblox is Exploiting Young Game Developers. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. 
I, th I thought it was worth us bringing this video up. It is a very succinct, good summary of a thing that, like, I th I think we all sort of suspected was probably the case, but hadn't done the digging on. Speaking as someone who has had very, very little concept of what Roblox was, I had heard the name, but I didn't actually even really know what it was that it was a creation tool and, and whatnot i knew it was something popular with uh you know a younger audience and it involved user-generated content that was about the extent of my knowledge so i found this to be a pretty useful pr primer on that also yeah it's, it's a useful primer on something that we all need to know about considering yeah. how many children play it like realizing quite the scale of this game's reach but yeah specifically like to summarize a very good video that you should all go watch it was a breakdown of the specific ways that roblox as a game encourages young people to make the games that that platform runs on with the promises that they can make money by doing so and then it makes it very, 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 very difficult for those games to be seen by anybody. And if they do have money spent on them, it makes it very difficult for the people who made the games to actually see any return on investment. There was discussion of things like having specific caps before you can cash out uh, your money. Uh, if you cash it out into actual money you can use outside of Roblox, you get a very unfavorable uh, return on that money the way that the system works you are encouraged to reinvest that money into advertising to get views on your on your game because otherwise no one's ever going to see it and we shouldn't call it money yes because it's it's not money yeah it's their internal currency it's 30 percent of money it may be if you ever get to having a thousand u.s dollars equivalent yeah if you ever get to a thousand u.s dollars equivalent you can have 300 if you want <laughs> you know i mean uh, and that's that limit is outrageous too i mean i'm in i was infuriated when google adsense closed my account and I had never received a payment from them because my lifetime advertising revenue was $97.24. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't get a hundred bucks, they don't have to pay you. Yeah. 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 A hundred bucks for YouTube. That's ridiculous. A thousand. Fuck off. A hundred dollar threshold. I get it. Especially when you're a very large company, you have to do a lot of payouts. There are mechanisms. I can understand having a threshold and a hundred dollars legitimately isn't that unreasonable. However, a thousand dollars, especially for a company that has this many active users engaged on it is outrageous. Yeah. As was pointed out in this video, like the vast, 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 vast majority of people who make games on Roblox, regardless of whether people spend money on their games or not, basically no one ever sees any money. It is a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percent that ever make any money. It's a money funnel. Yeah, and it's a money funnel that very specifically targets children with the idea that they can make money doing this. Roblox is evil. Like, yeah, there's not a lot I can add to this because, well, you know, the video's done a succinct job and everything, but it's a creepy, evil little system. It is. And the fact it's just done, like, just exploited children for years is yeah yeah <sighs> roblox creeps me out if i'm to find a silver lining in all of this because that's something i do whenever it just looks too dire some of these kids are learning about what the games industry actually is now 
Yeah. Before they have wasted their academic career or, you know, whatever else along the path and find themselves in the job far later in life and learn the same thing. Agreed. But it is also depressing watching 10 year olds become jaded about the industry before they but that's fucking depressing. But maybe they'll just get radicalized. I mean, that's that just says to me that they're, you know, this seems so foolish because they are risking depriving an entire generation of talent from the industry Mm. by doing things like this. Yeah. And that is tragic. It is. So some other news stories we had this week. There have been some amendments to the Activision Blizzard lawsuit that are interesting and we're going to talk about. There have been some additions, including references to contract workers and, perhaps most interestingly, some claims that human resources shredded documents related to the investigation, which is a bad fucking look. Mm. Not at all suspicious. Not at all. Um, So I'm reading this from Axios. The Department of Fair Employment and Housing says that Activision Blizzard has stymied its efforts through NDAs, requiring employees to speak with the company before they can talk to the DFEH. That sounds really familiar. We covered a story about that with Riot, I think, the other week, yeah? Yeah. Well, I mean, this is an industry that has normalised the NDA to such a degree that not even the press blinks. Yeah. Like, when they're given it, like, we're so used to NDAs in the game industry that Mm -hmm. it's not until something like this happens where you're like, you actually get to see in practice exactly why there are so many NDAs in this fucked up, rotten to the core game industry. Yes. So basically the DFEH says employees have been hamstrung by NDAs into not being able to go and tell California what has been happening without getting Daddy Activision Blizzard's permission first. Uh, The suit claims that this directly interferes with the DFEH's ability to investigate, prosecute, and remedy workplace discrimination. Yeah, no shit. If people can't talk to to you about the harassment and discrimination they've experienced, it's going to make it harder for you to do a lawsuit to fix it. (laughs) It also alleges, in part, that documents related to investigations and complaints were shredded by human resources personnel, in violation of what it asserts is the game company's legal obligation to retain them pending the investigation. So, it sure sounds like they were told you have a legal obligation to not shred that shit, and they went, cough, cough, I'm handing it to HR, you do with what you will. Sounds like they've got something to hide, right? Sounds like they've got quite a bit to hide. It sounds almost like they have something to hide. I mean, as I've said before, investigate every game company. Investigate every single fucking publisher, every single studio. Yeah. This industry is fucking fucked. Yes. And the fact that Activision is just so... I said years ago, like, look at all the shit Activision does out in the open. The open corruption of that company, and just imagine what it's like on the inside. And here we are. Yeah. Here we are. Its guts are being spilled, and it's hurriedly trying to push them back in. Oh, might as well bring it up now that they've taken their name off the Call of Duty promotion. Yes, they have. Activision is not using its logo in the marketing like it always has done. 
It doesn't want you to think about the fact that it made games. It wants you to think that the games just exist in a vacuum away from them. Yeah, almost as if they fucking know how toxic they are right now. Yeah. I gotta say, though, it's pretty remarkable that Activision has reached a point now with their public image that they would take that step. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because when you think about how shitty Activision has Mm -hmm. been all along up to this point with the things that we knew about. Exactly. Yeah. No, that was the moment for me where it's like, oh, this this is not the storm in a teacup the other incidents in the industry have been treated like. Mm -hmm. Activision itself is concerned. And I've never seen a game publisher concerned about their allegations. As big as like the, the Ubisoft story was last year, Ubisoft never batted a fucking eyelid. Mm-mm. Yeah. Well, they weren't, they weren't held to the same account that Activision's being held to account for. No one did. I mean, I wonder if part of it is because the one-two punch of the allegations and the lawsuit at once. The lawsuit definitely helps. Well, I think, yeah, I think the lawsuit is is the reason why. And I'm hopeful that uh, the suits being brought against Ubisoft might have a similar effect. Yeah. But that's relatively recent, and and so it, it's hard to see still how Ubisoft's going to tread. We were already seeing the press go the way it did with Ubisoft, though. That's true. Started doing stories on their products. And at the moment, they're at the, you know, the stage of still mentioning the allegations at the end of the article. Yeah. While still letting everyone know what they're doing in, in to hype up the next big game. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. Next story is one that, like, it is a positive thing that it has happened, But also, it should have never had to happen in the first place, so I'm not going to pat the company on the back for this. Electronic Arts is sharing five of its previously protected patents that improve accessibility for players. So I'll go through in a second what what these patents are. It is a positive move that these things that are good for accessibility that were previously patented have been released for everyone to use does make you think, why did you patent an accessibility feature in the first place? Maybe don't patent accessibility features, let people make games accessible. The headline one that I think most people will know is the ping system that is popularly used in uh, Apex Legends, their non-verbal communication tool for playing in co-op matchmaking. That is a good system. I'm glad that other developers can use that. They have a system for doing post-processing to help with colorblindness. Basically, something you can apply over your game to make colorblind accessible modes. That's great. Some stuff that helps with if you're playing in black and white, which some people do on a system level, uh, making sure your game is visible and clearly contrasted in black and white, and being able to change music in a game based on someone's hearing issues. It's good that these are all things that other developers can do now. Yes. But also... EA, you really shouldn't have had proprietary control over accessibility shit. No. I mean, I think it's pretty clear how I feel about patents, especially as they pertain to software. Making ideas into property is stifling and bad. Now, this whole situation has, just in the last couple of minutes, made me think a little bit. Yeah? A little bit. Now, I don't, 
don't approve at all of what Electronic Arts did in patenting these or any software design concepts. However, their acquiring those patents and then releasing them does give me an idea. Mm. Because that's a model that could be applied to other mechanics. Mm-hmm. And you don't just have to be a big fucking company to get a patent. What you need is a patent attorney. Yeah. Or somebody who knows how to file patents and the money to, you know, a, a relatively small amount of money to file patents for them. I will say the one benefit of them having patented and then released the patent. Nobody else can patent them. No one can patent it in future. That's it. Yeah. That's what I'm getting at. So... I would love if anybody listening here is a patent attorney that would be willing to like donate time. And if developers who are listening here had this idea and had some ideas of their own, maybe something could be done to make things better for everybody. It's just a thought. If nothing else, we'll look. I'm looking at the positives that have come out of this. This is a number of accessibility features that no one can patent in future now. Yep. And that is something. That is something. And hey, EA, if you want to in future make patents and release them within minutes of making them, go ahead. The minute I praise Electronic Arts for this action is the minute when every other software patent they hold is released. Indeed. You dump them all. Well done. Yeah. So yeah. Conrad, you put a story on the topic list for this week. I did. Yeah, do you want to talk about this one? I see, I keep sending in these really complicated ones, and then I don't think about them for like a week or two, and then you mention it, and I'm like, oh, fuck, that's right. Well, see, this is me throwing the ball over to you, assuming that, you know, like, oh, Conrad sent it, Conrad will be able to speak, uh, you know, confidently on this topic. And and to a, cer- to a certain extent, I, I can't. And so there's a, a report by uh, Carl Jobs. It's on Carl Jobs' YouTube channel, and it's called Exposing Fraud and Deception in the Retro Video Game Market. And it's an examination of how the speculative market around collectible video games has grown in the last few years and the players operating in that space that give the appearance of collusion and profiteering within a speculative bubble that will inevitably burst and impact legitimate consumers who buy in too late. Yeah. So... Specifically, like, there is a couple of actual allegations made in this video. A big one being the allegation that the president and CEO of Water, who are a company who grade and, you know, basically say what uh, what quality level a retro game box is in, uh, has been working with Heritage Auditions co-founder Jim Halperin to manipulate the market through press releases and interviews, using his position as someone who rates the the quality of retro games has been going hey the value of them's gonna keep climbing you should buy into them i'm definitely not colluding with anyone as to why i'm telling you this water has issued a statement in which it claims that the allegations are baseless and defamatory if that's true right why isn't what his name in the call of duty trailer Yeah, basically what what seems to be being alleged is that, at least in a couple of cases, 
water may have deliberately exaggerated the pristine quality nature of certain retro games in order to sell them at higher prices, which may have led to some of the recent most expensive video game ever sold stories, such as that copy of NES Mario Brothers that sold for $2 million. They claim that there is no truth at all to this. Um, They're like, nope, 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 we're very transparent, there's nothing to this, but right now it is allegations back and forth a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of seemingly not great looks yeah <laughs> from these people in terms of things that they are known to have bought things that uh, companies that they are known to be in position of and it's not just this market and this is not this isn't new like that's the the, the other thing about this is that this form of speculative bubble has been seen many times before we saw it with the comics bubble in the 1990s we saw it with coins and baseball cards in the 1980s and, and in the early 90s for baseball cards as well. So this is a, a trend that has happened multiple times. And some of the key players being talked about in this situation participated back then as well. Yes. And they've now moved into video games because they recognize it as another market opportunity where they can perform the same kind of speculative bubble tactics to expand their wealth. Now, it's pretty clear that this is what's happening, and I think it was inevitable that it was going to happen to video games at some point, just because there's not been enough consequence for all of these other scenarios. Now, with the coin stuff, there was some uh, investigations that got shut. This all gets shut down eventually, but nothing's ever done on a large enough scale to prevent it from happening again. Yeah. So some of the allegations in this video um, include stuff like putting fake bids onto things to artificially inflate prices so that even if a thing doesn't sell, they can go, hey, look, the, the price of video games is more than it was before to suggest a growing value so that people will buy in. Essentially, uh, the accusation is that people are putting their item up for auction, hiring someone to bid up the value of it on their behalf secretly, because that would be, you know, fucking wrong. Yeah. And then taking it, having raised the value of it, putting it back in their collection, and then a few years later repeating the process to gradually increase the value of these games and the value and perception of video game value writ large. Yep. To grow the speculative market. Mm, yes. And, I mean, honestly, it sounds about right. <laughs> As someone who used to, when young, think about the idea of having a collection of video games, this makes me feel icky because it's going to just make it out of reach for people who legitimately just want common, silly games to even buy those. Yeah. Like... These games shouldn't be this expensive. There's lots of them. Yeah. Reading something from that video, a a bit of transcript. What you have here is the chairman of the auction house buying a game for a record price, then creating a press release about his own purchase, in which himself and the president of the grading company are stating that the value of games is going up. He then advertises that his own game will be going up for auction in the future through his own auction house. I mean... (laughs) Yep. Yeah. There's very little more you can say than that. It's not a good look. Not a good look at all. 
What else we got? I don't know if we got much else on the uh, on on the news list today. I think it's going to be a nice lean one. The last thing we've got on here, and this is a thing that's been going on for a little bit, and we haven't talked about. We're going to talk about this week is Twitch has a real problem right now with hate raids. Well, if you if you look online, it doesn't seem like Twitch has a fucking problem with it at all. Yes, yes, and we will get mm-hmm. there. So. For at least a couple of weeks now, people who have been using certain identity-based tags in Twitch's tag system have been experiencing raids of auto-generated accounts spamming the same messages over and over and over mm-hmm. into, into chats. These messages have managed to get around profanity filters and harassing term filters in ways that Twitch is just not keeping on top of. Beyond that... What is happening is that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Twitch accounts are being made automatically and automated faster they can be gotten rid of and are spamming messages in chats. And Mm -hmm. Twitch fundamentally has a problem with there is a vulnerability that allows malicious people to make huge number of accounts to spam hateful messages at primarily black people, LGBT people, trans people in particular, and disabled people. We've both had them, Laura. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing that's so baffling to me from the Twitch point of view, that you would see this vulnerability exists yeah, and not be taking steps to address it. Like, I get to a certain extent why they don't care about people. <laughs> But they should care about that vulnerability. You would think that a corporation would care about a vulnerability that is being exploited. Of that scale? Like, it's huge. Well, I mean, even beyond that, like, at a certain point, you would hope that Twitch would worry about, like, how much of our bandwidth is being used up by people generating thousands of fake accounts. Like, that's money we're paying for, for bandwidth. Yeah, when when they can't even be competently evil. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as as mentioned, I think Steph, did you say you've had you've you've had one of these? Oh yeah, they told me I'd never be a real woman. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, it's the exact same message I yeah. got because it is it's the same fucking thing. Terrified this NB. Yeah, it, I've had that, and I've had uh, I've had some autism related ones that are very just like uh, lots of spamming. It's the usual fucking shit. The autism screech text. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm like, here's the thing: it's not. For for me, hasn't caused any anxiety or upset. It hasn't, like, you know. What it has done is, and I think this is the intention, made using Twitch chat to interact with the people watching my stream incredibly inconvenient. Yeah. And that's what it does. It produces a hassle that just makes it so that minority people are not able to use the service to interact with their audiences. And... I will head this off at the start and say, when I've talked about this online, some people have said, why don't you just remove the identity tags from your stream? Uh, yeah, that's ridiculous. Fuck off. And I'm yeah. like, look, that would probably get the desired effect, but you know what else it would do? It would stop the wonderful audience growth I have had since they introduced those tags of being able to find people who are looking for trans streamers. That's discoverability I never had before. Yeah. And you know what? For a little bit of inconvenience from these hate raids, I'm not going to let them win and get me to take those tags out because, like, fuck it, they're not going to let them win on that front. Visibility has been such a big fucking thing for me this year. Like, a big thing I've talked about and especially, you know, having seen what my visibility has done for others. Like, no, I'm not going to, like, 
go cowering off and, and hiding my identity. Twitch can fix the problem. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not our job to hide from this shit. Yeah, so... <sighs> There are some things that you can do as a streamer if this is something that's going to happen to you that will help mitigate problems, but they will not stop everything. You can set up buttons if you have something like a stream deck or um, an alternative to turn your chat to slow chat mode, uh, to follower-only mode, set a minimum amount of time for following. This will get some of it weeded out. Using all of the tools that Twitch has provided... Currently, the only way to guarantee stopping these is sub-only mode, which we shouldn't have to do if you're someone who wants everyone in your community to be able to interact with you, not just paying people. No, fuck that. I'm not putting my my stream on sub-only mode. Tanya DePass over on Twitter has some very good threads about why do not go telling streamers affected by this, oh, just put it in sub-only mode or oh, just use this thing. Twitch streamers are doing everything we can with the tools we have, and it's still not enough to stop this. The problem here is that Twitch is ignoring that this is happening, it is not taking it seriously, and it is becoming an increasingly common problem. It needs to be stopped. Twitch gave one very vague statement in which they said they were aware of the issue and would look to make changes later in the year. They'll look into things they can do later this year to maybe help with... Basically, every fucking time a minority person streams, them getting hate raided. The, the the lack of caring is just... It's astounding. Like, it's actually jaw-dropping. It is, what, a uh, like a commitment to do something sometime in the next four months? And that is arguably better than anything we've ever gotten out of them before. But th- don't worry, they won't address it. It will not be addressed. They will not have it fixed by the end of the year. Uh, that, but God willing, they can be forced to do it eventually. Yeah. Like, if this happened to one of, like, the big streamers once, they'd be much fucking quicker about it. Yep. Here's the thing that's happening. I'm surprised that some that this hasn't happened. I know big streamers who have been offered front page slots for streams and have turned them down to their contacts at Twitch going, no, not until you fix XYZ because I'm going to get hate raided. It's going to happen. I've said before, like, I'm the idea of being on the Twitch front page, there are a few things more off-putting to me. I don't want to be exposed to that and them. You know, without going into names, I know someone who's been doing charity streams recently who accepted a front page slot, and during this front page slot, they got hate raided for the entire hour. Mm-hmm. They afterwards spoke to Twitch and said, for an entire hour on your front page, I was getting absolutely horrendous automated messages spammed at me constantly. What are you going to do about that? I was on, I was, you invited me and I was literally on your front page. Are you going to do anything? Ignored completely ignored like twitch don't seem to even care when it's happening to big high profile people who they themselves want to spotlight as them like their big creators don't care they just don't give a shit yeah they'll throw you up there and then just leave you alone to fend for yourself yeah and you know 
I'm not gonna fucking stop using those identity tags. I've had a lot of people recently, you know, come to my streams and say, hey, I found you through the, the, the trans tag or the autism tag. Your stream seemed really nice. I'm gonna stick around. And I'm like, oh, heck, that's really nice. I've found people going like, oh, hey, I found your stream because I was, I'm trans and I was looking for a stream that I knew would be safe and not transphobic. I'm like, I don't want to have to give that up. And I refuse to. Mm -hmm. Twitch is given a tool and now they need to make sure that that tool gets used responsibly. They need to make sure their platform is safe. Yes. Like, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. They need Their platform is not safe and they don't give a shit. You know something? I'm honestly surprised it took this long for this to be a problem. I expect I half expected this to be a problem day one when they introduced the tags. Yeah, I thought the tags would be an immediate fucking attack. And I do wonder whether this not happening straight away was because the people behind this know that Twitch probably would have had a much harder time pretending this wasn't happening if it happened right after they rolled out tags, because there'd probably be a lot more coverage of it. Oh, tags got introduced and they're fucking terrible is more of a story than, oh, people are getting hate raided many, many, many months after the tags got introduced. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't rule it out. It's it's sometimes painful to recognize that there could be some strategic thought involved and it's not just blind hatred running amok. Yeah. But that there's that's absolutely a possibility. There have been some allegations going around. They seem to be unsubstantiated, claiming to specifically know the personal people behind this spate of hate raids. In particular, there is a streamer who has been taking credit for them and saying they are behind them, who still has a Twitch account, who has not been taken off Twitch. And that is, you know, I'm not going to highlight their identity here because... They could be bullshitting and, you know, trying to chase for clout, and I'm not going to point fingers, but yeah. if someone is taking credit for this and still has a platform on Twitch... Yeah, it just seems like Twitch is not paying attention. If, if they're admitting to abusing the platform, <laughs> like... There are clips going around of people talking about how easy they are finding it to mass-create bot accounts on Twitch. And Twitch is going, oh, nothing to see. Wow. Well, I mean, maybe to them it's all fucking engagement. They're <sighs> obsessed with it enough. So, yeah, hey, if any of you listening weren't aware this was happening, first of all, it probably means you're not watching enough minority creators on Twitch. Go yeah. watch some more minority creators on Twitch. But yeah, this has been going on for weeks, and be vocal about it, because Twitch is trying to pretend it's not happening. Yep. Or at the very least, trying to pretend that it's not a big deal, because... As far as they see, no one cares that it's happening. Hashtag Twitch do better uh, is a popular one people have been using to talk about this. Um, not that I suspect that's going to do much help, but if you want to use it while talking about what is happening, that at least puts it in a centralised place. But yeah, I think that's it for news this week. I think so. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Laura? Me? You do things and people need to look at them and hear them they do they do need to yeah how could they how how the hell could they how the hell could they well they could go to laura k buzz and all the places twitter twitch youtube patreon that's the one that pays the bills 
Twitch, I, I stream Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 10pm UK, 5pm Eastern, 2pm Pacific. YouTube, I upload uh, episodes of Access Ability every Friday. This week we've got an episode going up about social deduction games and how to make them more accessible to neurodiverse people you may be playing with. Other than that, I've got some books, Uncomfortable Labels, that's out now. Things I Learned from Mario's Butt, that's out now. Gender Euphoria, that's out now. And there's also some podcasts. Pixel Squirt, it's about video game character pornography. Queer and Pleasant Strangers, where I talk about the things that aren't video games that I've done in the week. And Dice Funk, which is a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Each season's its own self-contained story, so you can jump in wherever. I'm on seasons three, four, five, six, seven, and eight. Conrad, you were on that in the past. I was on that. And you can find me on Twitter at Conrad Zimmerman, also on Instagram. Uh, and you can watch me on Twitch four days a week at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. You could buy anti-capitalist propaganda from me at pinfultruth.com and audiobooks at conradreads.com. You could also hear me on Boston's Favorite Son and the spinoff Doctors. Yeah, I know. I still have to watch that movie. And you can hear me talking about snacks on Let's Talk About Snacks. And everything I do gets supported on Patreon, patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? <gasps> who? Why, it's James Stephanie Sterling. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, shit. Blah, 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 blah. It me. <laughs> patreon.com slash Jimquisition. That's the Patreon link. It supports all the stuff, what I do. I stream on Twitch at times, Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling, and on August 28th, this coming Saturday, 6 p.m. Eastern, with a pre-show at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, it is the Polyam Cult Party Woodstock. I will be wrestling. Laura will be talking about the wrestling at the 5.30 so that you know what the wrestling is, and that'll be a good show. There's a lot of people, if you watched the last one, there's a lot of recognizable faces, some real good talent there, so... Yeah, check it out. Uh, and there's merch that you can get. Uh, by the time this goes out, the um, Gays Can Do Whatever They Want shirt should be available to order again. Uh, very excited. You will be able to have get access to this the shirt so ridiculously popular it's sold out. Immediately. Beyond our expectations, yeah. Um, yeah. The Gays Can Do Whatever They Want. But but that all that's all available at thegymporium.com. We got badges there. We got patches there. We got stuff there. Oh, and there's we'll have such some more stuff. stuff coming soon. Such such sites to show you, well to sell you anyway. Uh thegymporium.com. It's a website with tap. Enjoy. And that's that. Thank you all for listening. Thank you so much for supporting in any which way. Thank you to Laura and thank you to Conrad and bye bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.